Hello and welcome. I'm Jillian Raymond, the co-creator of Juicy Bits and a Coalition Snow ambassador. And I'm Jen Gorecki, your co-host and the CEO of Coalition Snow. For those of you who are with us in season two, we are glad you're back. For those of you who are new, get ready to laugh, cry, and maybe pee your pants a little. Juicy Bits is about taking the conversations that we start on the chairlift and at the trailhead and bringing them to you to explore alternative narratives that challenge the status quo about what it means to be a modern woman in the outdoors. Grab your helmet because sometimes it's a bumpy ride. FYI, friends, this podcast is for mature audiences, so you've been warned. Let's get to work and juice the patriarchy. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Juicy Bits. This is your co-host, Jen Gorecki, and I am here with a very special guest, Dr. Gerilyn Davis, who is the Chief Inclusion Officer of Inclusion on the Slopes. Gerilyn, welcome to Juicy Bits. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's my my pleasure. Um, I just want to give our listeners a little bit of background about how you and I met. So you and I were both at the Outdoor Retailer Trade Show in Denver in January, and I believe you came to the panel that I moderate when we lead, and then we randomly ran into each other in the hallway, and that's <laughs> yeah. when we actually officially met and said to each other, we have to get on the phone and talk which yeah. we did last week. And then after talking to you about inclusion, inclusion on the slopes, I asked you if you would be on Juicy Bits because I just love what you're doing and want to do everything that we can to see it, to see it grow. So uh, that's a little bit of background about how you and I ended up here today. And today in this episode, we're going to talk about um, your love affair with the snow and, and skiing and diversity and inclusion. But before we get into all of that, can you just share with us uh, what is inclusion on, on the slopes? What is this initiative all about and why did you start it? Yeah, most definitely. So inclusion on the slopes is an initiative where we concentrate on building relationship abilities in the ski industry. And primarily we do that through a series of events. And those in events are primarily to bring those individuals who are well-represented in the ski industry and those who are not so well-represented in the ski industry together and to create some dialogue and to build some relationships from that perspective. Uh, I started Inclusion on the Slopes officially last May. Um, it kind of emerged from my own drive and um, desire to want to get more involved into the ski industry. It's been a dream of mine since I was a little girl. And I've been in HR and management myself for going on 16 years. So I decided to bridge my HR experience as well as my love for the snow. And it just kind of morphed on its own accord. And it's been going full throttle for almost a year now. That's really amazing. And one thing I want to I want to ask you, so I want to get really clear here. So when you say people who aren't well represented, who are we talking about? Well, I think it's more so those who have been in the ski industry for a, a, a long, a long, extended amount of time. So, for instance, you know, those individuals can be 
individuals that were are Caucasian or individuals who just have been well immersed in it for so long that it's kind of the kind of like a generational thing for them. Um, and so mm-hmm. from 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 the outside looking in, it appears to be mainly Caucasian individuals who are immersed in the ski industry. So in the intentions, right? Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just going to say, like, that's sort of a function of media, right? Because if, you know, take yourself, for example, and uh, I'm sure other people who you know, and I, I know there absolutely are people of color who go oh, skiing, yeah. but there is, there's something going on with the media where we just, we don't see those people represented or spoken about or photos of yeah. them um, a little bit more now than than we used to, but definitely there's um it's almost as if that entire group of people has been erased from something that they love yeah and i think it's more so just really being clear that the ski experience is for everyone it's not for a specific mm-hmm. demographic and and even when in referencing inclusion on the slopes that is the vision of inclusion on the slopes is to is for everyone to be open to the ski experience and to kind of challenge that stigma that only a specific demographic can enjoy this amazing experience on the snow. Yeah. What, what do you think needs to happen for us to get there? Well, I think that's why it's so important with inclusion on the slopes is that we concentrate on building those relationships. And I think that that, that fundamental core really challenges us in a way where we're able to see how organically that does happen if we allow it to happen. So I think that part of getting there is really concentrating on the inclusion piece. I mean, it could even be discussed, why am I concentrating on inclusion versus diversity? And I think inclusion Mm -hmm. really is the piece of everyone's included. So therefore, it isn't one demographics here or one demographics there or one demographics here. No, we're all included. It includes you, 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 yes, you, and you too. (laughs) So (laughs) it doesn't negate anyone. And so I think that 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 brings a different perspective. It challenges the conversation Mm -hmm. and therefore it allows us to engage with one another in an organic fashion, which really is a human component. You know, for me, I've lived a very inclusive life my entire life. I have people from all demographics, all background, religious affiliation, atheists to Christians, Jews, Protestant, I mean, the whole nine. And it's been amazing how rich my life has been because of that. And I think that because I am an example of that, that's why I'm really adamant about inclusion on the slopes and what it means to create that inclusion. Yeah. Are, are you seeing are you seeing certain things in the industry? And when I say the industry in, in snow sports or even the larger outdoor industry that make you feel really hopeful about inclusion? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think that's actually why I'm really ecstatic about it is because we're starting to see a shift in who we are and our identities mm-hmm. and how we engage with the world. And we're starting to be really intentional about how we engage with the world and how we present ourselves to the world. And I think that because we are being that intentional, it's challenging our frame of thinking. We no longer can think the way that we used to. It's no longer going to serve us. And I think that right now we're in a very exciting time. I know some people or, you know, have a perspective that, you know, this is, you know, this is challenging and, and all the above, but I think it's Mm -hmm. a grand opportunity for us to expand our frame of thinking 
and to expand our relationship abilities and also to expand our interpersonal capacities, which is a component within inclusion on the slopes as well. Yeah. How, how do you see the average and by average, I mean like the everyday, the, you know, anyone who's listening to this podcast or anybody who happens to find themselves out skiing or snowboarding on any given day, like what can, what can that person do to foster inclusion in snow sports? Well, I think the first piece of it is is starting to start to foster inclusion in your life. Like, how do you engage Mm -hmm. with others? How do you connect with people and use that as your springboard to then to bring others into the sport? And I think that that's really the challenge that I'm really spearheading is that for us to start looking at Mm -hmm. how we engage with each other, even from day to day, from little small things. Like, I mean, I spend a lot of time in coffee shops, particularly Starbucks. That's probably my happy place. But um (laughs) <laughs> and more, and it's so ironic to me how many relationships, like I really have friends that I have made because I'm in Starbucks all the time and how mm-hmm. just my, my ability to just look up at them and smile engages them in a way where they feel that they can come and have a conversation with me. I mean, literally, I just had a gentleman talk to me this morning. He was like, you're here every day. And I was like, yeah, I am. He was like, oh, well, I'm Bob. I'm like, hi, Bob. Pleasure to meet you. You know, and he was like, it's so good to mm-hmm. see you. You know, it's just those little small things that happen that spark a relationship. And so I think that instead of thinking such a, on a large, large scale of how to create inclusion, I'm really focusing on challenging those day-to-day interactions, those small habits yeah. that create impact and create influence in your life. And then ultimately what happens is you're, is you're enjoying this amazing sport and getting out on this, you know, having this experience with some awesome powder, all the above, you automatically want to engage another person in that behavior because it's become, because it's a part of you and you want to share Mm -hmm. it. It's a natural human function and ability. So that's the challenge here is to start thinking about what can you do to foster inclusion in your day to day and, and allow that to bring Mm -hmm. your, allow that to be your springboard. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that because that feels like something that's possible, right? Like there's so many issues that we face daily um, and oftentimes we're all left with this feeling of, well, for me personally, sometimes I just feel a little bit like, you know, in, in despair. Yeah. What, what are we meant to do? The problem seems so big, but I really like this idea, your idea that if we foster inclusion in our own lives, then that's a way to bring people in and inclusion is for everyone. Everyone. Uh, I really like that. Thank a lot. you. Thank you for that feedback. What, that's my, of course. Yeah. What, what would you say to the people who are scared? So let's a hundred percent people are worried about saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing. And, and for me personally, and in, in my sphere of work that has a lot to do with gender, yeah. I'm confronted frequently with men who will say things like, well, you know, am I allowed to say that? I don't want to get it wrong. I'm not going to say anything at all. And there's, there's all this fear, which personally I think is a little bit selfish because you should just get the fuck <laughs> over it and do the right thing. But yeah. <laughs> But I'm curious yeah. what 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 you think and like what you would say to people who are afraid to navigate what is for many of them new territory. Yeah. 
Well, I think the first the first piece of it is even as as men are saying, you know, I'm scared, I'm nervous. Well, that's great that you're number one allowing yourself and accepting the fact that you are feeling this way. And I think that there's strength and vulnerability and being vulnerable and being authentic and I don't know what to say. But then I also too think the mm-hmm. other piece of it, and this is probably the the portion that you're referring to, is that you have to demonstrate some accountability and start taking mm-hmm. stock and and altering your behavior. And I think that that's sometimes a challenge when it comes to, you know, this whole concept of, you know, group think and organizational culture. And I want people that foster and gravitate to this culture and this idea. Yeah, you do to a certain degree, but then also too, you lose the flexibility in your interpersonal skills. So I think that the mm-hmm. the underlining portion of it is that acknowledge, okay, you may not know what to do, but the second piece of it is you need to seek what to do and ask questions and probe and, and gain some vulnerability. Like, I don't know exactly what to say, but I'm, but I, I'm going to still engage with you. And I think that that's the part that, that could be an underlining when men are saying that because it sounds a little bit antagonistic in the background. Like, well, I don't want to say the wrong thing. And it's more so like, uh, you're being a little bit antagonistic with that statement because it's not that you don't want to say the wrong thing. It's just, you don't want to focus on saying the right thing. And that's a different component. <laughs> that's a difference. It really is. <laughs> I want to focus on saying the yeah. right thing versus, oh, well, I don't, you know, since all this Me Too movement and all this activity, you know, I don't want to say the wrong thing. No, you just need to concentrate on saying the right thing and saying the thing that's appropriate mm-hmm. for the person that you're engaged with. And that's the key is that you may have to practice some flexibility in your interpersonal skills because everyone you encounter is not going to be the same. That's why relationship abilities are so critical where we are right now, because every person is different. So therefore, that makes us the same. So therefore, you have to evolve in your own frame of thinking, in your own level to engage with others. And if you don't, you will continue to see that push and pull, which is ineffective at best. Right. Well, and it, it seems like part of the problem, too, is that this this concept that um that you actually have to consider the experiences of other people and that not everything is the way that you think it is. Like this is sort of a new revelation to a lot of people who have been born into a world that tells them that their way of thinking, their perspective, their experiences are the sort of gold standard that everything else is compared to. And, and I would agree with you. I feel like we're at this incredibly exciting time where we we get to see that there's so many other perspectives and experiences that are being elevated to that same standard of like, well, no, maybe we aspire to this or these people have power. Yeah. And and the idea that like the world that you are not this pillar of normalcy exactly. is perhaps what's most challenging because it's I mean, it's like re- relearning how you engage, like, as you said, like these interpersonal skills and how you engage with other people. Exactly. That's exactly what's going on. We are having to relearn behavioral skills. And that's even from an, not only an interpersonal level, but an intrapersonal level. So how we engage with ourselves Mm -hmm. and how we're viewing the world. I mean, we're starting to see, even from a workplace perspective, we're starting to see how this control, you know, this control methodology of like, oh, uh, authoritative, you know, employee workplace no longer is conducive. We're starting to see how our emotions affect how we interact with the world. And also too, 
we're evolving from this industrial age into an information age. So things are not how they used to be where we didn't have access to information. I mean, we have access to information we'd have never otherwise had access to at our fingertips. So we're, we have to evolve and we have to change. And I think it's more rapid than ever just because we can't afford to not evolve in this way because inclusion is so imperative. Yeah, it really is. And one, I, I'm curious what, what you think about this. One thing that concerns me is I feel like these conversations around inclusion and diversity and equity are happening in every sector and in every industry. Yeah. You know, any, you, you open up the newspaper or magazine or you get on your phone or you know, anywhere you go, these conversations are robust and at the forefront. Yet for me, as someone who has been in the outdoor industry only a short time, only about seven mm-hmm. years, I, I feel like we're not even there yet where these conversations are perceived to be um, normal or um, they're not they're not your typical conversation. So I'm, I'm curious because you have a very rich and diverse uh, professional history. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you think that the outdoors or, or snow sports has a lot of catching up to do with other industries or do you see this to be something that everyone is working toward? Like what's, what's your perspective on that? I would say that based on the outside looking in, I would say the outdoor industry does have some catching up to do. And the only reason I I mention that is just because I think part of it is that the outdoor industry has been so ingrained in doing it this way. And this has been the way. And I think also, too, the other piece of it is that other demographics are starting to receive more resources, which is calling attention Mm -hmm. to their desire to acquire these experiences. So I see Mm -hmm. that that is creating a shift as well, because no longer can the outdoor industry be a silo. Because other demographics want this experience as well. And then also, too, it's not, it, it wasn't only their experience in the first place. And so it's just these norms and these thoughts. And I mean, I, I, from the outside looking in, I would say we are embarking on a bit of an awakening. People are starting to wake up mm-hmm. and see that, you know, this land is mine as well. And I can explore mm-hmm. it and I have every right to get out on this mountain if I choose to. And I have every right to engage in this experience this is my right as well. And I think that that's what's happening. And I think other industries are more prone to it just because of their demographic. It, it includes that strictly. Like for instance, like Procter & Gamble, they're a well-known company that's mm-hmm. in the d space is really progressive. It's also because their customer base is of all these demographics. And for the outdoor industry, sure. that hasn't been the customer base. So therefore there hasn't mm-hmm. been a push and pull to make that happen. But now we're starting to see because other demographics are becoming more affluent and are acquiring more wealth and all the above, that now it's starting to expand that scope. So I, I think the outdoor industry is behind in reference to the thought process, but I think they're catch up because they won't have a choice. Yeah. Well, the, the outdoor industry is, to me, it's it's um, one thing that makes it a little bit different from other industries is that you can be a part of the outdoors without being a part of the industry, right? So you don't necessarily need to consume anything to be outdoors. And this is something that we're seeing, whether it's a walk in a park or going for a hike or going to the beach, that those that qualifies as, as a real and valid outdoor experience 
and in other sectors, you're really only a part of the industry if you purchase right. something, yeah. right? Like you don't. There's not really a culture around deodorant yeah. or lotion. It's just something exactly. you put on, right? Whereas, right. <laughs> right. Whereas with with the outdoors, you you do have people. I mean, all we have to do is look at um, indigenous mm-hmm. people who have been. Uh, recreating, living, caring exactly. for, preserving the land long before any industry arrived, but then an industry came and turned that into something consumable, yeah. which is even a bit, um, it's at odds with itself in that, right? Yeah. So I think that that's where also what's happening in this industry is that there's, there is this movement around validating all experiences. Mm -hmm. And so many of those experiences don't, they don't need an industry to exist. And also too, I mean, those things, that attention towards those activities are still, they're still experiencing the outdoors. So I think that that's even, you know, that's something that has to be recognized as well as part of the outdoor industry, whether the outdoor industry is wanting to monetize it or wanting to bring it in, it's still a part of the outdoor space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I was um, when I was researching a little bit for the for our our interview today, um, I was rereading the article that you published on Medium, and you have a great story about your first encounter with the snow that is completely industry ag- agnostic. And I'd love it if you could share that story with us of like when you first knew that you were in love with the yeah. snow. Yeah. No, I'd love to share. So. For myself, um, my experience began really young. Um, as I was a little girl, I was always in love with, with the snow and seeing it snow was always exciting for me. My mom recalls a story that when it was, it snowed one day and I literally ran outside and was like, oh my gosh, it's snowing. And I literally had like a t-shirt on. I had no shoes on anything, but I was so immersed in this white powdery substance um, and I immediately fell in love with it. And I even asked my mom, I was like, you know, I'm like, man, I was watching the Winter Olympics and I saw the snow and I'm like, well, I, I would love to go skiing. And my mother was like, well, we're, we don't, we're not going skiing. I was like, what do you mean we don't ski? And so, I mean, it was a dream of mine that I held tight to for a very long time, that it was always a dream of mine to go skiing and, you know, to embark on this adventure. And and so I moved out and moved out here and um, Indiana. I'm from the Midwest for, to Colorado going on four years now. And I went skiing for the first time last year and it literally just transformed my life. Um, you know, I never, like I said, I, I hadn't gone skiing. I actually went skiing by myself. I went out to Breckenridge. Um, they didn't have any beginner slopes when I went for, I had just submitted my dissertation and decided that, you know, I have been waiting all this time to go skiing. I'm going skiing. So, I mean, I left all my family. My family's still back in Indiana. I'm very close to them. But, you know, this was a, a dream of mine. So I went skiing. And, you know, even when I went to the slopes themselves, I informed them this is my first time. They're like, well, we don't have any beginner slopes. I'm like, yeah, that's perfectly fine. I'm still going. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. Let's <laughs> yeah, I'm it. going regardless. So I spent some time <laughs> with my instructor. And, you know, we spent about 10 minutes. But the thing about it is I had been researching this since I was a little girl. And even as I advanced in our research abilities. I mean, I had watched video after video after video. I mean, I had studied this to, to the T. And even my instructor, she commented, she was like, you really know the, the kinetics of this. I was like, yeah, I've been studying it. Like, I'm ready. <laughs> so we only spent like about 10 minutes down, um, down at the lower level and we went up. 
Um, and mm-hmm. by the time I was finished, I was flying by her, just asking her, which way do I go? And it was the most <laughs> unreal thing ever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I knew that it was, it was yeah. destiny for me to move out here and go skiing. Like I said, it's been something I've been holding on for a very long time. It's been a dream of mine since I was a little girl and I'm just, I'm just in love. Like even now it's snowing in Colorado and I'm just like, oh my gosh, yay, I love it. Um, so this is my happy place. And yeah, I left my family behind and I moved out here to, to ski and, and finish my doctoral program. And it's been an amazing journey. So awesome. Well, you definitely rewarded yourself well for turning in that dissertation <laughs> with a ski trip because dissertations are like, I mean, this that's why I dropped out of my PhD yeah. was because of having to write a dissertation. So anyone who actually writes one, I don't, I, there's not even there no words, words to describe <laughs> that feat because it is, yeah. and I mean, I, I tend like I'm able to get some shit yeah. done. Like I've gotten some things yeah, done in my life li- lifetime. Oh no, no, a dissertation. I was like, nope. Yeah, it's no, it's a, not. It's a totally different. Like it's even hard to describe it in words because it challenges mm-hmm. you in a way that you never ever thought you could ever be challenged. And I think that that that's actually what made me decide to launch Inclusion on the Slopes. So I'm like, oh, if I could do that, oh yeah, I'm ready for this. Um, and even the, the skiing experience as well. I was like, oh yeah, I can do that. Oh, I'm good. <laughs> Cause that was traumatizing in so many levels. And I'm like, and I, I'm still alive. I still made it. I'm still breathing. <laughs> it's, it's true. If you write a dissertation, you absolutely can do anything. Yes. I mean, really there's nothing that you can't do. Cause it's so, I mean, I didn't even do it and I know how awful it is. <laughs> it's awful. Yeah. So awful. I can relate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So when when you think about the future of inclusion on on the slope, so this is this is an initiative that you just launched in the last yeah. year, and and you're starting to roll out. Um, what? Where do you see inclusion on the slopes in the next five years? In the next 10, 10 years? What does the future hold for you? Yeah, I, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I was just looking at the business business plan that I have for inclusion on the slopes and. And my intention is to take this, you know, domestic as well as international. I think that inclusion is an exciting opportunity, not just for, you know, just the U.S., but from an international perspective. And my goal is to really create this shift in the ski industry where it's known for inclusion. And that's really a progressive goal. So for the, you know, we're starting, we're using Colorado as our benchmark. So using that as our proof of concept, but, you know, my intentions are to explain Mm -hmm. this to Utah and to California and Minnesota, Wyoming, you know, I have really, really aggressive goals with, um, uh, Wisconsin rather, uh, I have really aggressive goals when it comes to inclusion on the slope. So, I mean, I'm, I intend for this to, to continue to progress and, you know, to really create this shift within the ski industry. Yeah, well, and it's it's much needed, that is for sure. Uh, so for all of our listeners, what can they do? What can people do to support you and support Inclusion on the Slopes? Yeah, um, to support Inclusion on the Slopes, get on Facebook and you can actually Google Inclusion on the Slopes. Um, also, I have several medium.com articles, take a read of those and also connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm really active on LinkedIn. Um, I'm really also adamant about connecting with people. 
In addition to that, I also have a petition that I started, which I use that as a bit of a blogging platform too as well, just to really engage people and keep them connected so they're well aware of the activities that are going on with Inclusion on the Slopes. And also to be on the lookout for our events and activities. I love people. I would be ecstatic to meet anyone and everyone. So yeah, just, you know, just be on the lookout for the events and attend them as well. So. Awesome. Well, I will, uh, just so that our listeners know, I will take that petition and um, put it on the Coalition Snow website. So we'll put a little write-up about you and include this so that people can easily find it um, because I would love to see you get that petition, um, you know, meet all the the goals that you have for number of signatures. Um, and then also, like, once you start getting your events up and running, um, people can always go to um, Coalition Snow, stay stay in touch in our newsletter and I'd be happy to share those out as well. That'd be so, fantastic. That's another place. Thank you so much, Jen. Well, Gerilyn, I just, Oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah. And I just, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to be with us um, on juicy bits today and sharing your story. And I just want to end by saying that, that what you're doing um, it's long overdue. And for me to be able to meet someone like you, who's doing this work, was one of the highlights of my outdoor retailer show because it gave me hope that we are moving this industry forward in a positive way. And I just want to thank you for your work and your your commitment to this space and for your time today. I'm just so excited for what the future holds for you. Thank you so very much. I really appreciate that. And just know it's my pleasure. This is my life's work, so I'm ecstatic to, to be a part. Stars are coming.